says, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither my father, me nor my father. If you had known me, you would know my father also. And these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And they said to them, who are you? And Jesus said, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. And Father, we humbly pause and ask, please help us now by your Holy Spirit as we open the word of God in an act of worship. Prepare our hearts. Give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say through the word of God to this part of your church this morning. Speak to us and bless your word, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I know you've heard this statement before. It's as plain as day. How can you not see it? It's as plain as day. How can you not see it? And the truth of the matter is the reason for that sometimes is because there are occasions when something is really made as plain as day, but we don't want to see it. It's as plain as day, but we don't want to see it. And that really is the case with the devoted religious adherents of Jesus' day. Their heart was not willing to see what Jesus was trying to show them. He continuously, repeatedly, faithfully was trying to show them the truth that they needed to see but they didn't want to see what Jesus was showing them. And as a result of that, kept suppressing it and rejecting the truth. And I think we all seriously have to be careful of that thing in all of our lives at times where the Lord is clearly trying to show us something. It's as plain as day, but maybe we just don't want to see it and therefore are ignoring what he's trying to say to us. That's a dangerous place to be. And that's really what our passage is dealing with, we'll see this morning. The backdrop, remember, is the Feast of Tabernacles has come to a close. Jesus is now in the temple area the next morning teaching. 
and he's now facing very strong opposition and resistance from the religious leaders of that day. They want to destroy him, actually put him to death. And it's with that backdrop, verse 12, we read here, if you look with me, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus now makes here another one of his seven I am statements. This could be a sermon in and of itself. Every one of these I am statements that Jesus makes. In each one of these seven statements, Jesus in essence claims to be God very clearly. Especially because of the fact, if you remember, that God revealed himself to Moses and to the Jews, we see in the Old Testament, as the I am. God said to Moses when he said, who should I say is sending me? He says, tell them I am. I am who I am. And the word I am, when that statement or title is given of God, the idea literally is the all becoming one. That's what that means. I am. I'm the all becoming one. I am continuously and presently whatever you need that's the idea the all-sufficient God the eternal God becomes whatever it is that you need so do you need provision God becomes your provision do you need protection God becomes your protection do you need peace God becomes your peace whatever you need he becomes and Jesus refers to himself as the human personification of the great I am And in each of these I am statements that he makes in John's gospel, he gives us greater revelation, first of all, of his divine nature, something else about him, as well as also what he offers spiritually to his followers. And here we see, look in verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, the light that Jesus is speaking about here, clearly, he's not talking about physical light, but spiritual light. Light that is needed inside the darkened heart of every one of us, as well as to live in a very dark world that's been affected by the curse of sin upon humanity. Even if we could think of it this way, even as our physical sun and its existence is necessary to provide light on this planet in which we live upon so that we can see clearly to do things safely and be productive And also, the light of the sun doesn't just help us see clearly, it actually is the thing that gives life to this earth. For example, photosynthesis, plants to be able to produce and grow. If there's the absence of sunlight, there's not the ability to have life generated and for life to continue and to grow. So, sun provides light to see. It also provides light in the sense that light gives life as well. Without the sun, we would all be functioning in the dark And we as well all would, in a sense, look at a planet that was very dead because no life was given through that light of the sun. Well, in the same way, Jesus, the son, S-O-N, the son of God, offers light spiritually. And in the same way as our physical son, Jesus is the sole source of spiritual light that allows us to see things clearly in regards to God and spiritual matters and morality. Jesus is the sole source as well of spiritual and eternal life that he gives by his life as the light of the world. And apart from Jesus, 
we would not have the ability to be able to see clearly spiritually because it's Jesus who shines into the darkened heart of every one of us because of the effects of sin that it has had upon each of our lives. And in the Bible, light and darkness are often used as metaphors or analogies. You see this repeatedly in the Bible as symbols of the spiritual life. Light represents usually God, what is good, what is pure, what is holy, uh, that which is righteous and true. In fact, one of the ways God reveals himself in the Bible is to refer to himself as a light for people. Case in point with Jesus' statement here. Darkness, metaphorically or as a symbol, usually represents the opposite. What is evil, what is sinful, what is wicked. Darkness represents doing what is wrong or deceptive, uh, living in sin. It's a symbol of being in a lost, dark condition. And in John chapter 3, Jesus used that very analogy just a few chapters ago, speaking of how God sent him into the world. Jesus said this, listen to his words, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. See, the Bible teaches us that because of our fallen condition, of sin that we are born by nature in sin you don't choose to become a sinner you prove that you are a sinner as you live life we're born in a sinful condition because of the fall of adam and eve we're all his in a sense offspring we have no control over that reality but because we are born sinful all of humanity automatically understand the bible teaches automatically dwells in darkness spiritually we don't have the capability to see things clearly spiritually. We might be born with physical sight, yes, but we are born, the Bible says, spiritually blind. Just like a blind person can't see physically. People are born in their humanity spiritually blind, and sin has that effect upon our hearts and our soul and our understanding. It blinds our understanding. Romans 1 Ephesians 4, we read there, our hearts are darkened, our, our spiritual understanding is darkened. The idea is that we don't see God correctly and we can't see spiritual matters properly. That's, that's the universal condition of all of us from birth. That's how we start. We're in a sense living in the dark. That's why Jesus here, you notice in verse 12, that's why he pictures the whole world, all of humanity, as you see what he says, walking in darkness. Because this is the condition. It illustrates walking in spiritual ignorance, if you would. It illustrates living in a way where we don't understand God correctly or his way of life. And therefore, we live in sin. Having no spiritual light within us, we lack that illuminating nut light of God's spirit on the inside that helps us see God correctly, understand the ways of God, the plan of God. We, we don't see that because there's a, there's a blindness on the inside. But what he's saying to us here in verse 12 is Jesus says, I want to rescue you out of that. That's why I came to this earth. Everybody's got the same struggle, the same problem, whether they recognize it yet or not. And Jesus says, I want to rescue people out of walking in darkness, out of that spiritually lost, dangerous condition, because Jesus, who is God's light for this world spiritually, desires to give spiritual light. He doesn't want us to walk in darkness. He desires to lead us into the light of life. And take notice that Jesus does not say here, 
I am a light. He says, I am the light. I'm the light. There may be other false sources that profess themselves to be light, but Jesus says, no, emphatically, I am the light of the dark world who came to give light to men so that they don't have to walk in darkness, but that they could have the light of life so they could see spiritual matters clearly as the sole source of the light of God through Jesus' life shines into their hearts. And he describes here in verse 12, in the end of it, what we must do to experience that light inwardly. Do you see what he says, verse 12? Look at the text. He says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As we choose to believe upon Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior for our sin, as the Lord of life, as we choose to do that, the light of spiritual life enters into our heart like a flood and we see the things of God clearly. And all of a sudden, it's, and I remember this the day that I got saved, clear as a bell. It was like the lights turned on on the inside. And in a way, I didn't even fully understand for so long in my life. All of a sudden, when I chose to believe upon Jesus for myself, when I chose to follow him sincerely, personally as my Lord and Savior, and I made that personal decision for myself because I understood my soul's condition, the lights turned on on the inside. The light of life by his spirit came on with inside of my life. And all of a sudden, when that happens, we then have light regarding what actually it means to have a spiritual life. We understand, oh, that's what it means to have a spiritual life. Here I was thinking it was this, or here I thought it was, you know, just going through these rituals or routines and kind of being a little moral, and, and all of a sudden we realize, whoa, this is what it means to have a spiritual life? To have a, a, a personal relationship with Jesus in a very intimate way? This is so simple. How did I miss this so long? And all of a sudden, we have this glorious encounter with the Lord, and we realize as he gives us spiritual light on the inside, and with that comes the spiritual life eternally in our hearts that Jesus gives as the Son of God. And we too then have light, like Jesus says here, if you follow me, you'll have the light of life. All of a sudden, this blessed privilege as a Christian, Jesus gives you light as you follow him as Lord to know how to navigate things in this dark world. So that you don't have to live in darkness. You know how to do life right. You know how to make good decisions. You know how to do marriage. You start learning how to parent God's way. You start learning how to manage money God's way and live God's way and make righteous choices that spare you from pain and regret. And, and you got the light for how to live life. And you don't have to stumble around in the darkness or fall off a cliff or two and get hurt and injured or hurt others around you. And it's this beautiful benefit. And Jesus says, however, is totally dependent upon human decision. Because he says, he who, what? Follows me. That is a human decision every one of us has to make. We have free will to choose what to do. Whether or not we choose to follow Jesus determines whether we will live in darkness. We may see as clear as a bell 2020 with physical vision. But you can be completely blinded your whole life long, spiritually, morally, on the inside. But if you choose to follow Jesus, light comes in. You no longer experience that struggle. And to choose to follow Jesus is a choice. It's an individual choice. You either choose to follow him or you choose to follow yourself or something else. Until that day you say, I've decided I'm following Jesus 
And then all of a sudden this experience becomes ours. Now, as he says this, of course, you can understand the Pharisees understand what he's saying. Look at verse 13 as our text goes on. It says, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. So as Jesus is speaking, one from among his hate group, if you would, pipe up and they interrupt him right he gets one statement out the next time he tries to start teaching here he gets one statement out and an angry protester that's common today right an angry protester interrupts jesus in the middle of his speaking there calling out saying wait a minute you're a liar that's not true you can't say that and as jesus is further revealing who he is and the benefit he offers this angry protester among the Pharisees tries to discredit and challenge him and basically they accuse him of being guilty of self-promotion and of lying you see what they say there they say to him you bear witness of yourself in other words they're saying you're just trying to endorse yourself you're just trying to you know represent yourself in a way where you get attention and followers and self-authentication that's never valid and you're just a self-promoter and and they immediately assume wrongly that what jesus says is false in fact they even go so far to say look at it they say your witness of yourself is not true that's another way of saying you're a liar what you're saying is, is not true it's not accurate you're a liar now let me just say whenever a heart is in that kind of place that's not good whenever a heart is in a place that it refuses humbly to consider the words of jesus christ in such a way where it just automatically assumes he's a liar because his statements are so radical and jesus made radical statements but whenever a heart begins to say his statements are just too radical they can't be true that's a scary place because here's the truth of the reality sometimes very radical speech is spot on and people just don't want to hear the truth sometimes very direct radical speech is spot on and accurate and because people just don't want to hear what's being said they instantly respond wrongly to it or shut down and and that, that can't be true it must be a lie well look at verse 14 jesus answered and said to them even if i bear witness of myself my witness is true for i know where i came from and where i am going but you do not know where i come from and where i am going so jesus instead of taking their protest personally getting antagonistic he seeks to in our passage here keep further helping them in their reasoning to come to a proper understanding of who he is just because jesus spoke of himself he's saying that does not automatically mean that what he said was false uh, he wants them to understand their lack of humility sadly and their unwillingness to listen to jesus honestly was what was hindering them because they were just shutting down and they weren't allowing jesus to speak into their heart the fact of the matter is, what jesus was saying was 100 percent accurate it was completely true. Jesus says there in verse 14, my witness is true for I know where I'm going and where I came from, excuse me, and where I am going. The problem, he says, is you don't know where I came from or where I am going. So Jesus here speaks of the reality of his eternal origin and then his future destination. He speaks here in verse 14 how he came from heaven originally. He says, I know where I came from. 
from heaven. And he says, and I know where I'm going back to heaven. He says, the problem in this situation is this. The dullness of your heart and unbelief has caused you to be in a place, he says there in verse 14, where you don't know where I came from and you don't realize where I'm going. And therefore, they were shutting down Jesus primarily because, as I said earlier, they don't want to know. They don't want to understand. And so they're shutting down the truth of God to their heart. And can I say again, how sad, how absolutely tragic. It must bring a tear to the eyes of God in heaven. How truly sad when a person will not sincerely consider for themselves the realities of who Jesus is and what he's done, that he is the eternal son of God who in love humbly came to this earth to live sacrificially on our behalf, to defeat the death process, to then die and then raise to heaven and return back to the eternal dimension and to there now from that place be the savior of the world and the bridge and doorway to have access to God and to heaven. It tells us in 1 Timothy 2, God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And what a sad and tragic thing that the human heart sometimes can be so dull, so hardened, so stubborn in some ways that a person would fail to see this reality of the love of God to send Jesus, to do what he has done for us, to provide what he offers to us as the mediator, the bridge between God and humanity to be the savior of the world, that we can come directly through him. We don't have to come through any other person, any other religious figure, but we can have an individual personal relationship with God through Jesus. And that he offers that so freely. Well, look as our text goes on, verse 15. Jesus says there, you judge according to the flesh he begins to identify the problem now i judge no one and yet if i do judge he says however verse 16 my judgment is true for i'm not alone but i am with the father who sent me so jesus tries to help them here become aware of why their judgment and why their evaluation of him is incorrect he's trying to identify that for him he says the problem is look at it there verse 15 he says you judge according to the flesh what he's indicating there is they were making judgments about him about jesus according to outward appearance alone who and what they saw in the flesh of jesus what they could see from their human viewpoint they were basing their judgments of jesus on what they knew and what they could see from their limited human perspective and this is where they were making a mistake. That approach always lacks all the details. When you make a decision or a judgment from human perspective and all you can see from your vantage point, you never have the full information because nobody knows the whole story. There's always a whole other side. How many times have we had mud on our face and felt like an idiot when we realized, hmm, I probably should have looked into that a little bit more before I made that judgment there. And we all do this on occasion. We evaluate and make judgments by what we see about a person or what we think about a person or what limited you know, experiences we have with a person. And that limited understanding often ends up in being very inaccurate in the end. 
And Jesus identifies that this was the mistake that they were making. They were judging according to the flesh, which also meant, keep in mind as well, they were using the, the capacity of their human sinful flesh, which is broken. And, and their flesh was not capable of giving them accurate guidance. Our flesh is weak and sinful, the Bible says. So our, our guidance system is faulty. And because of that, we can all make wrong judgments like these religious leaders. And we need to be careful. We really do. More than once, I've been convicted of the reality of, of how I judged according to the flesh. And we all need to be careful that we don't judge people or judge matters according to the flesh with our human attitude or our sinful, weak, limited view of things. Because typically when we do, our judgments and evaluations of people are wrong and of matters are wrong. And Jesus here not only indicates their error, but he also reveals in verse 16, as we read, how to make a proper and accurate judgment so that we can be correct. He says, verse 16, he says, my judgment, verse 16, is true for I'm not alone, but I'm with the father who sent me. So notice there, Jesus reveals his judgment as a man it certainly was on every person and every matter was 100% correct. It was 100% accurate. The reason why is because he made judgments in direct connection, he says, and cooperation with his father in heaven's assistance. He says there in verse 16, I don't operate and function alone in my judgments. I do everything with the father. That's why my judgments are true. Now, again, certainly we know Jesus is God, but who Jesus was as a man gives us the perfect example in humanity. And Jesus in his humanity as a man here shows us the right way to make our judgments, not in the flesh, when we make judgments about matters or about people that we need to depend upon and cooperate with the Father in heaven's assistance. That we need to do such things in direct cooperation with heaven's viewpoint and with God's complete understanding of all things. As a result, we'll have a much better chance, and I'll keep the word chance in there, of being accurate maybe in our judgments. When we have to make a, a judgment maybe about a person or on a matter, we need to be very prayerful in those situations. We need to wait and take time and talk things through with God and not just go off our first perspective or our first perception. You know, the statement that people make on occasion, perception is, is reality. No, it's not. That's stupidity. Perception is not reality. That's the greatest way to be deceived. If perception was reality, then, well, I was going to beat up on the marketing department of things, but that's what marketing is, right? Oh, look at this. And if you eat this gum, this Swedish bikini team will come dropping in to you, bring you a cooler of beer, and your life will be wonderful because you chew dentine. Or, I mean, get real. That's called marketing. That's, that's perception. That's not reality. It's not reality. Perception is not reality. And because of that, when we have to make a judgment about a person or about a matter, we need to slow down and talk it through with God and wait upon the Lord and seek his word and let his word filter our thoughts and let the Father give us a perfect and complete understanding because God knows all the details. God knows the human heart and what's going on in people's lives and what's not going on that we may be perceiving. And, and we need to humbly accept that and forsake our wrong first impressions sometimes maybe or our quick perceptions that we develop. And Jesus here shows us the right way to make good judgments 
do it in cooperation with God and you'll have a much better chance as he indicates. Verse 17, he goes on to say, it's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. He says, I am one who bears witness of myself. This must have frustrated them. <laughs> and the father who sent me, he's the other witness. So I mean, Jesus here is you know, so incredible in the way the Old Testament law required two witnesses for a matter to be validated or established. The Bible says that by the mouth of two witnesses, something would be established. And Jesus says, okay, no problem. We got that covered. I'm one witness of myself. My father's the other witness of me. There you go. We even satisfied the Old Testament law. There are two witnesses. And let me just say this. Think about it. If you're God from the eternal dimension, who do you get for an accurate witness? I mean, if you're God, probably the best chance you have is to bear witness of yourself. So Jesus, in a sense, is very accurate in what he says here. He says, uh, the father and I, we bear witness of who I am. Verse 19, they again angrily said to him, where is your father? Now, those claims of Jesus just probably further angered their hardened hearts. So they question him now a little further. They say to him, where is your father? And when you read the entirety of John chapter 8, it's very likely here that their again refusal to see the truth probably has them here kind of poking uh, an insult at Jesus here because from their, again, human vantage point, Jesus's life looked questionable. Remember, Mary became pregnant before her and Joseph were legally married. So some people looked at Jesus not knowing the full story or not wanting to know the truth of what God had done miraculously by conceiving the life of Christ in the womb of a virgin woman so he could be born of a virgin the way he needed to be for our salvation. So some people looked at Jesus as sort of being born of fornication. Can you imagine? Mary is here. All right, Mary, who's the father? Who did it? God. <laughs> Typical teenager. Right? But it was true. So some people looked at Jesus in a very, in a sense, critical way with the stigma as if he was born out of wedlock the reality was that was not the case they're saying here who really is your father anyway the reality is what they were missing god the father was jesus's father because the father in heaven had conceived the life of christ miraculously by the spirit in the womb of a virgin woman jesus didn't have a human father Jesus was born of the Spirit into the life of Mary's womb so that he could be fully God and fully man. And we ought to thank our lucky stars he don't have a human father. Because for him to be fully God and fully man is the only reason the bridge can be built for us to be reconciled. But here, again, they don't want to see the truth, so they're kind of angered. They're probably poking at Jesus here. Jesus, again, answers them saying, verse 19, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. So he indicates here that they didn't know or understand who he was. Follow this because they didn't know and understand who God was in their hearts because of their shutting down. Jesus is saying, if you had known me, then you would know the father in heaven also. What Jesus again is saying here very directly is he's saying, if you knew me personally, that would be the same as knowing God. If you knew me, you'd know the Father. He's saying, if you knew me personally, you would 
know God personally because the Bible teaches and Jesus proclaims that he is God. Therefore, to know Jesus in a personal relational way equals knowing God in a personal and relational way. So that being said, the truth of the matter is if you don't know Jesus in a personal relational way, you don't know God yet. Oh, that's offensive. It may seem a little offensive, but that's honest. That's biblically accurate. It's not politically correct, but it's biblically accurate. Jesus was God. And Jesus said, if you know me, you'll know God. If you don't know me, you really don't know God yet. Look, the reality is this. A person can resolve that at any moment. Do you know what you need to do? Come to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Because the light of the world is Jesus. And he says, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. You'll then know God personally. Do you want to know God personally? Know Jesus. If you know Jesus in a personal way, you will know God in a personal way. Verse 20 says, these words Jesus spoke there in the temple treasury, probably the outer court area is where he's at as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, though they wanted to. And that wasn't for prayer or healing, for, for strangulation. <clears throat> the reason they couldn't lay hands on him is because his hour had not yet come. We've talked about this before. No human effort could stop the will of God. It was not going to happen one hour before God permitted it to happen. Jesus was God in God's timing and no human's going to overrule God's timing. God's will is going to happen in God's way in God's timing. This is then Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin and where I am, you cannot come. Now, we'll talk more in a moment here about what Jesus means by dying in their sin. Because in the next verse or two, he's going to bring up the same statement again. But note here in verse 21, if you would with me, Jesus is again informing them what? That he is going away. But notice what he says here. He says, where I am going, you cannot come. He's referring to going where? Back to heaven, where he first came from, as the eternally existent Son of God, who came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead, and then he ascended and he went back to the very throne from whence he came for all of eternity. And Jesus says, I am going back to heaven. Remember earlier he said, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Now this is a sobering and honestly, I would say troubling statement. Jesus says, I'm shortly going away to heaven. And where I'm going to heaven, you cannot come. Wow. That's a pretty scary thought. What was the one reason at this moment they could not go to heaven where Jesus was going? Because their sin separated them from God. And the rejection of Jesus, who is God's only answer to remove sin from us, was keeping them from having access to entering into heaven where Jesus was going. So verse 22, as we read on, it says, So the Jews said to him, notice again, will he kill himself? What is he talking about? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. Again, they're thinking in the hardness of their heart. Jesus is maybe talking about suicide. We're not going to follow him in that sin. What's he saying? And again, the whole reality, they're completely missing the very clear, simple point that Jesus is trying to convey to them. It's right before their eyes but they don't want to see it. What Jesus is saying to them is very evident, but they don't want to hear what Jesus is saying to them. Verse 23, he then says to them again, you are from beneath, I am from above. 
you are of this world, I am not of this world. So Jesus, I have to say, in his loving persistence, and that's what this is here, in his loving persistence, tries to clarify and help them see what they need to see. I almost sense Jesus trying to reason with them here, almost like when you, you start to talk to maybe little children to help them get, he's saying, okay, let's review this again. Let's review this again. He says to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. Here, there, heaven, earth. And you know, I mean, again, just in his loving persistence here, he's trying to help them grasp this. He goes on, verse 24, to say to them, therefore, look what he says. Here it is again. I said to you that you will die in your sins. Now listen, everybody will one day die. That's inescapable. Inescapable. So therefore, we must think about death as human beings. Because it's something we will all one day face. It's the one appointment on the calendar you can't skip. You can't skip it. But you also don't know the day of the calendar that appointment's on. So you have to think about death while you're living. And Jesus warns, look at this here, of the absolute worst condition that a person could die in. He says here, to die in your sin. To die in your sins. The idea there is to die while still being under the judgment of your own sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says there's no difference. We all sin. We all sin. There's one thing every human being shares. It does not matter what your skin color, your ethnicity, how wealthy or poor you are, what country you dwell in. Every person shares one thing equally. We all fail. We all sin. We all miss the mark of perfection. We think things wrong. We say things wrong. We behave wrongly at times. We all sin. And sin makes us guilty before a holy God, our creator. God's a perfect, holy God, a just God. And sin then causes separation from God. When we did the gospel bracelets a, a couple Tuesday nights ago, as we came to the bead that represented sin, we, we tried to help kids understand. We said, look, your sin kind of makes you dirty before God. It's like when you go outside and you play and you fall down and, and, and you get dirty and you come inside. And what does your mother say? Look, you have to get a bath. You can't come in the house filthy like that. You need to wash yourself. You need to get clean. And we said, look, this is what happens to us. When we sin, in a sense, we become dirty, defiled before a holy, righteous God. And we need to be cleaned morally, spiritually. And the blood of Jesus Christ, we would tell the kids, it's like really powerful soap. It's really good detergent. The deepest stains down in your soul. It'll, it'll cleanse you. No matter what you've done, you can be forgiven of it. There is no sin that's not forgivable. But our sin, we have to understand whether you think you're a horrible sinner or you think, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm the right. How can I be a sinner? Look at those people. No, you're a sinner too because now you're just judgmental. <laughs> Everybody's a sinner. And our sin separates us from God now. It can separate us from God eternally and our sin deserves eternal punishment. It's the truth. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. Sin pays its participants. That is physical death we all experience and ultimately we can experience eternal death. That is to be cast, the Bible says, into the lake of fire or hell as we know it, to be tormented in painful suffering separated from God forever and ever and ever and ever. 
in a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the fires are never quenched and unending torment. And if, hear me, a person dies in their sin, if a person dies in their sin with having never personally come to Jesus Christ in faith and trust, believing they're a sinner and that only Jesus and what he did for them, no religious work, nothing else, only Jesus and what he did for them can remove that sin from them as the Savior and forgive them. If they die having never done that in rejection of Jesus, they will die in their sin and be eternally condemned to the lake of fire. But the glorious thing is this. The Bible says that's not necessary because God in his love did something wonderful. Jesus said back in John chapter 3, right, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And he says God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world could be saved through him. So Jesus came and he took the punishment that sin deserves. He lived the perfect life that I don't. That's awesome. And then he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my righteousness. You give me your sin and I'll suffer and die in your place upon the cross. And I'll have my blood poured out in such a way that it can cleanse and wash you clean through forgiveness. And I'll even destroy the power of sin from controlling your life. And I'll take away the penalty of sin from condemning you to what you deserve. And he says, this is a gift, the gift of God, eternal life, offered to each of us freely. We don't earn it. We receive it. We come to Jesus to receive it from him because it's him that we're receiving. And the question today is this. Have you done that? Do you know that you've done that? If not, it's not complicated. Receive it from Jesus. Tell him you need it. Tell him you don't want to die in your sins. God has made a way that we can die differently. It's called to die in Christ. And if you die in Christ, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To instantly be in the presence of God and your sin will not hinder you from your eternal destiny you could have experienced. So Jesus says, for if you do not, notice, look, verse 24, if you do not believe in that I am he, you will die in your sins. So again, a very strong eternal warning there. The failure to believe upon Jesus and respond, he said, this is a human requirement. If you do not believe who I am, you will die in your sins. He's beckoning us. He's beckoning them. You don't have to do this, but understand this is a reality and a promise if you don't respond to Jesus as you should. Verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? Again, notice how they're filled with questions. It seems they're trying to squirm out of what the truth is. Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say to you, to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Now, now follow this here. It seems they, you notice, keep asking Jesus questions. And sometimes people do that when they don't really want to hear the truth. They, they kind of, you've done this before where the conversation gets awkward. So you change the subject real quick. You know, somebody says something a little bit awkward. So by the way, how are you doing? You know, and, and this is kind of the idea here. Jesus is saying to them, look, I have already shown you the truth multiple times. I, I've been trying to show you the same thing from the beginning of time that I've been with you. I keep trying, but what was it? They were refusing to accept what Jesus was saying to them 
Because they want, here's why, they want a different answer. They want different information than the information that Jesus is giving to them because they don't like what Jesus is saying. But Jesus says, what I've been saying to you from the beginning, he says, I speak to the world. In other words, please take note, what Jesus has said is not going to change. It's not going to change. He's not going to change the message or alter the truth. What Jesus says as the representative of the Trinity from heaven from the beginning is God's absolute truth. And it will never change to accommodate any human being because God's God and we're not. And so Jesus says the truth is the same. So what then needs to happen? As human beings, we need to humble ourselves and repent and alter our mindset and realize, I guess Jesus is true. Maybe I've been wrong. I had to do that. Join the club. <laughs> we all have to do that. That's the wise thing to do, to change our heart and mind, to appreciate what Jesus has done, to accept what he is saying. Verse 27 says that they then did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Again, they're, they're darkened in their understanding because of unbelief. That darkens our understanding. And Jesus said to them, verse 28, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. So Jesus speaks of an event that will transpire, look what He says, that will powerfully cause many people to then understand what He's saying. He says, when, when I am lifted up, He's talking about his crucifixion when they would lift him upon the cross publicly as he died sacrificially for the world. When they lifted up the son of man, something very powerful would take place because the cross of Jesus speaks volumes to humanity. As you see this loving, innocent man dying on behalf of the guilty, seeing Jesus crucified is a powerful message that is hard for a human being to ignore. It's hard to ignore. That is the revelation of God's love. It testifies to God's truth and eternal realities that sin has to be punished and that man's being punished for me? Remember at the cross of Jesus, Mark 15, hardened Roman soldiers are there witnessing and seeing Jesus suffer and die and it tells us as they watch Jesus die on the cross that one of those hard-hearted Roman soldiers said, truly, this man is the son of God. Why? Because he saw Jesus on the cross. Because that is a powerful thing. The message of the cross is the power of God. That you're guilty, but God doesn't want to punish you. Because he loves you. And, and look what he's doing to his son. So that you can be freed and so that you can come to heaven and know God. And, and, and the power of the cross of Christ is, is a convincing thing to a human heart. That's why Paul says we preach Christ crucified for that very reason verse 29 jesus then says and he who sent me is with me and the father has not left me alone so again jesus knows he's headed to the cross but he's assured and comforted by the presence of his father especially in these hardest hours though he was enduring severe rejection and it was going to get way worse jesus found comfort in knowing he would never be alone because he says my father is with me and he has not left me alone he's with me even in the hardest of hours and can I say to you this morning, as a follower of Jesus, if you are, the same is true for you. In the hardest hours of your lives, when, when the, the pain of, of having to crucify your own self-will and desires and the difficulties and the suffering and the unjust treatment and the loneliness and the hardship of what you go through as you follow Christ, 
God is with you. He is with you. And he will not abandon you. Others may have left you. Others may leave you. But God will remain with you. He won't leave you alone. This morning, today, you need to know if you're in a hard time, God is with you. And he will be with you. And his presence will sustain you and comfort you and help you. And you be not faint-hearted because the presence of God is with you. He's with you. He'll help you through the hardest of things. Jesus says, The Father has not left me alone, verse 29, for I always beautifully, he says, do those things that please him. Jesus lived a life as a man that was not self-serving, but always God-honoring. I mean, he was motivated with one sole desire to please his Father. And not only did he desire to do that, but he actually did it. He said, I always do those things that please him. I have jotted down, wow. Don't you wish you could say that? I always do those things that please God. Don't we wish we could say that? But here's the good news. If you embrace Jesus, the spirit of the living Christ lives inside of you. And guess what he can do in your heart? He can give you a desire to always want to please God. And here's something more awesome. Because he's already done it and lived it out as a man, he can empower you to live in a way that pleases God in the situations that you walk through. So that you can live a life pleasing to God because Jesus says, I live in you and I know how to do that. I'll help you to please God in this situation and live a life that's pleasing to God. Verse 30 concludes by telling us, and this, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. So as people heard Jesus testify of himself as the son of God sent from heaven to die substitutionally upon the cross to take away the punishment of the sins of mankind as a result, it says many hearing that truth believed in him. As they heard that truth, not all, but many believed in him. And today, I leave you with this thought. Today, you have read with me and you have heard the words of Jesus. You have heard the words of Jesus. And I have to say, do you believe what he's saying? Do you believe what he's saying? He's been speaking to you about things, as we said at the beginning of the message. It's as plain as day. It's as plain as day. But do you want to hear it? Are you willing to say, okay, Jesus, I see what you're saying and I want to hear it. I believe it and I want to respond to it. Amen?